Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Now at the time of our gospel lesson, the people were gathering together. They were coming to witness, to celebrate, and enjoy the mighty work of God. The people were gathering together to witness God's mighty work of binding together a man and a woman in one flesh union. They were brought together by invitation to celebrate the profound mystery that St. Paul refers to as Christ's marriage to the church. The mystery that points to the union that God desires to have with his people. The interesting thing regarding the record of this wedding is that the names of the bride and the groom are not recorded for history. We have no idea who was getting married. We only see one who was at the wedding, even though the rest of the guests, to the rest of the guests, he was perhaps even unnoticed that day. In the person of Jesus, at this wedding, God himself was present. It seems as though the important thing to realize for us the go- and the gospel from the gospel writer's point of view is not who is married, but rather that our God honors marriage. He first instituted it in the Garden of Eden when he joined Adam and Eve together into a one flesh union. And in the garden, he spoke the words to Adam and Eve that would create every son of Adam and every daughter and Eve of Eve from that time forth when he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. God had his hand in marriage and he honors it. More than that, our Lord would die for the sins of of every person that would be born from the union of man and a woman. And that includes each of us in this room. It is very interesting that John, the gospel writer, doesn't direct our focus uh, to where the guests would have been focused. Everybody there would have been thinking about, oh, she's beautiful, oh, he looks so handsome. But we don't hear the details of the bride and groom's lives. We don't hear the speeches uh, where the people get up and wish the family, the new family success and children. We don't hear stories about the bride and the groom and how cute they were growing up. No, John directs our attention to a table at that at this point was not noticed by the other guests. And he directs us to the table where the Son of God and Mary's Son were seated. John lets us know that the one who created and created and instituted marriage is at this feast. In fact, the word of God that Jesus came to fulfill lets us know that all marriage is a profound mystery that refers to him and the church. In our Old Testament lesson, we see that when God draws near to his people, 
those who were termed forsaken, those who were termed desolate, are now called, my delight is in her, and married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall God rejoice over you. God loves you. He draws near. We read last week where it said that in baptism, you were united with Christ in baptism. All that's his became yours. That's a good thing for us. And also all that is ours became his. And that's our sin. That's our failures. That's our inability to get to heaven. All that Jesus took upon himself and he went and paid for all of his bride's debt. Again, our focus today is on the one who comes to marry the church, who is its head. At the point in time that our gospel begins, it is soon evident that there may be panic behind the scenes at this wedding. For the first thing that John writes after sharing that Jesus' mother, Jesus himself, and Jesus' disciples are all present at the wedding, the gospel writer writes this. He says, The wine ran out. (laughs) And the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. I can see Mary at this wedding. Now she's described to us in a number of different passages again in the scriptures. She's described in this way. She's described as trying to discern what kind of message an angel was speaking to her. She's described as pondering the word of God in her heart. She's described as treasuring treasuring God's word in her heart. This makes you think of a woman who observes and thinks. Not really a panicky person, uh, not really a a very worried person, but a, a person who is observant. And she notices through observation that the wine is ran out. And she says to Jesus that they have no wine. Now, Mary takes her concern to God, which just so happens to be her son. And she tells him the problem. And seeing and understanding the heart of his mother, Jesus responds, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now with this answer, Jesus is not trying, like our modern, our ears would hear, he's not trying to get out of work. He's not saying, no, I made the wine last week. Let my brother do it. (laughs) When he speaks of his hour, he's actually speaking of the hour that he would pray about in the upper room when he would gave his body and blood to his disciples as a foretaste 
of the marriage feast that was to come. Listen to his prayer here. This is three years later. It's the night that he's betrayed. The night where he would institute the Lord's Supper and wash the disciples' feet. At this prayer he prays, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. This is an interesting thing because he had been on the Mount of Transfiguration where his glory had shined, shone forth, his clothes were of white. Um, the disciples thought rightly that they were in the presence of God as Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus does not consider that is where God's glory is to shine. Where is God's glory to shine? It will shine the next morning as God is bleeding for the sin of the world. And as God is bleeding for the sin of the world, he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. As he bleeds, struggles for breath, he gets out the words, it is finished or it is accomplished everything that he came to do to reconcile you and I and the rest of the world to himself was finished it was done God's glory isn't like the glory of a rock singer with, with lots of lights and shining bright, we're just like, oh, he's so amazing, or she's so great. His glory is in what he does for you. And the greatest of all lays down his life for you. So Jesus prays, glorify your son. In other words, give me the strength to do what I have to do. And later that night, Jesus prayed again in the Garden of Gethsemane where he was like sweating drops of blood and he said, my soul is grieved to the point of death. And as he's praying, his disciples are sleeping and rising from prayer, Jesus came to his sleeping disciples and said, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. So when Jesus says that his hour has not come at this wedding feast three years earlier, what he is saying is, this is not the time for the attention to be drawn to the Son. This is the time where I will be teaching my disciples. This is the time, actually this day, when the focus is on this young man and this young woman who I too have come to honor. And with those words, saying my hour has not yet come, he prepares his disciples, his mother, and the servants to not draw all the focus to him when they witness what he is about to do. So with everyone in agreement, Mother Mary said to the servants, 
do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding about 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said, fill the water jars. And they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some of it and take it to the master of the feast. And they did it. Now I am sure that the master of the feast, who was like the banquet person or wedding coordinator, uh, was stressing out at this point. Being out of wine would have reflected poorly on him and the bridegroom that he was working for. With this mistake, he would not be trusted in this capacity ever again. And the bridegroom himself would have looked stingy and cheap and unprepared for his guests that he had invited. Yet because of Mary's keen observation, uh, up to this point, the servants, uh, the servants uh, took the master of the feast, the water that had become wine. I think that I think the bridegroom didn't yet know what was going on. And I, I've been a groom at a wedding, <laughs> and uh, I really had no idea how much beer or wine we had left, or how much food was left. I was uh, just getting through the day and uh, thinking, I cannot believe I'm married to this to this wonderful woman. Um, so I, the bridegroom probably was not thinking about what's going on, but the master of the feast was. And the bridegroom was unaware that he was about to be saved from embarrassment. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, he was not only relieved, he rejoiced. Uh, the, the servants were the only ones that knew the master of the feast, tasting this amazing wine, calls out to the bridegroom, seated at the head table, and he said, Everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you, you can see him with a big smile, but you, you have kept the good wine until now. Showing your generosity is beyond belief. A very interesting thing happens in this sequence of events. I want you to listen. Jesus does the miracle by his word. He says it, it's done. The master of the feast's worries are replaced with rejoicing. And the bridegroom is honored and praised for something that he is totally unaware of. Now, if you were at any table as a wedding guest, you most likely would have received the wine and praised the bridegroom all the more, along with the master of the feast. But behind the scenes... The servants who drew the water, Jesus' disciples and Jesus' mother, had confirmation that in this ordinary guest at a wedding stood God in the flesh. 
The first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in glory, at Cana in Galilee, and he manifested his glory. His disciples believed in him. And just as God was present at that wedding, the same Jesus is with us today, as he's promised, in his word and in his sacrament. And this Jesus today, he calls those that he washed with water and the word in baptism to receive bread and wine at a table that he says he turns into his very body and blood. And from what we observe, this is what we observe takes place on a Sunday morning. Somebody from this magic organization called the Altar Guild, <laughs> that they're not magic, but, but somebody from the Altar Guild puts together bread and wine and puts it on this table. That's what we see. We see, uh, we see wine and bread put into dishes and cups. And from what we observe, a pastor will speak and deliver these things to us. But with the eyes of faith, we see that God is here. He is the one who washed his church with water and the word. He is the one who presents his bride to himself without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. It is no one other. With the eyes of faith, we see that our God is here to serve children that were first born of their fathers and mothers at the command of, the, of God in the Garden of Eden. He is here to serve those children that have been born again, children who bear his name. The eyes of faith see that Jesus is here to serve you. He is no ordinary guest. He is the guest who has come to serve. And in, and in we in turn, having our faith strengthened, we humbly praise him and we love and serve others as he loves and serves all who are gathered here today. And now may the peace that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus until he returns for you. Amen. Amen.